Yeah, I think I started playing first grade 16 years ago now in Sydney. So, um, yeah, I was, I was 18 and I debuted with a couple of old greats, Simon Kadic and Nathan Horitz. So you need to go down, hit cricket balls, bowl cricket balls, catch balls, do it properly at a young age, try and get that muscle memory going. And once you're a bit older, once you get to the professional level or just below, everyone's got their skill set. They understand what they need to do with their setup, whether they're bowling, batting or wicket-keeping and fielding. Kids, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, the ones that are going through the most changes in their lives are probably the hardest ones to, to work with because their opinions are so varied. Welcome to another interview episode of Sri Lankan Cricket Podcast with Vida and Bora. Today we have a special guest from Sydney. His name is Ash Doolan. He's the owner and head coach of Cricket Appeal. Um, they've been in business over 25 years, operating out of Sydney and having clinics run through in Darwin and Tasmania. And he's a wicketkeeper by trade. He caught the eyes of Steve Rickson at a younger age. And if you look him up on YouTube, you'll find uh, the videos of his flying catches. Welcome to Sri Lankan Cricket Podcast, Ash Dillon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Taminda and uh, Sohan. Appreciate, yeah. appreciate being on board, to be honest. <laughs> Now, we're pretty happy to have you. Um, Ash and I go way back. We played a lot of cricket together. Um, and yeah, one of the best keepers going around. Um, has been playing number of years in Premier Cricket as well, Jules. Talk us through your experience in Premier <laughs> Cricket in Sydney. Yeah, mate, it seems like yesterday when I started, but yeah, I think I started playing first grade 16 years ago now in Sydney. So, um, yeah, I was, I was 18 and I debuted with a couple of old greats, Simon Kadic and Nathan Horitz. Um, yeah, at the time, I didn't think it was a massive thing because I thought that was just what everyone did. But as I've gotten older, I realised how significant that was and, and how, how lucky I was to sort of be involved with those players at a young age. But, um, yeah, mate, it's been a big journey. I, I grew up in Jamboree, a little small town on the south coast of New South Wales, only 600 people, uh, not a cricketing background at all. Uh, I, I just played because I was I was pretty good at it when I started. When I was five, I was playing under tens or under twelves because there's only one team in the town. And um, <laughs> I think I got good very fast because I had to, I suppose. And then yeah, from there I just I fell in love with the sport. Played everything growing up, and cricket. I chose cricket, I suppose. Yeah, so I was I was pretty very lucky. Had a had a small community that supported me all the way through. Wow, lovely. Some of the players you grew up playing together, fair to say, um, I think Usman Kawaja is one of your close mates and you played a lot of cricket together. A few other names? Yeah, mate. Um, yeah, well, I played with Usman at Randwick. We were just a couple of young fellas in the side at the time. Um, I used to open the batting with him, actually, and I'd be oh. 40 off, 45 off 40 balls in first grade and I'd get out every week and he'd be, well, let's probably give myself a bit too much credit, I'd get out in 30. And... Um, <laughs> yeah. And Usman would be batting the whole innings for 150 and I'd walk back and say, I'm as good as him, what's going on? But yeah, obviously I'm not. That's why I'm sitting here doing the podcast and he's playing the next test. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Steve Smith, grew up playing Steve Smith. Uh, Smithy and I played together at Sutherland when I, was a, when I was a bit younger. Played second grade there when I was 16 until I was 18. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I played a lot of cricket with Smithy growing up and, and under-19s with Sam Robson, who's also my cousin. He's over the batting for England. Yeah, uh, I didn't find out he's my cousin until we we made our debut for the New South Wales Under 19s together. 
<laughs> so um, yeah, pretty. It was a pretty unique situation, and um, yeah, played with a lot of players sort of in and around the grade system that have played for Australia. Adam Zampa grew up playing against him when he was pretty young. He was he was always stepping up, playing a couple of years up where I grew up, and. He was always a standout player when we were younger, but Zamps was always a batter, never really a great leg spinner. And he obviously learned his trade when he got a little bit older and stronger. And yeah, he's always a competitor. Great, great kid too. He's a good person. So no, yeah, I played with a lot of cricketers growing up. Like I said, I can't rattle them all off. Played against a lot as well. But yeah, I suppose at the time, you don't really think it's significant. But as you get older, you realise it's pretty special. So yeah, when I retire in 50 years, I'll, I'll look back on it. Yeah. <laughs> Still you the same people, Mozzie, mate. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. I just had a knee. I just had an operation on my knee. I had my meniscus cut out and, and and sort of cleaned up. So I've had a month off and I've missed it more than ever. We're coming first too. We're winning. Or we're coming. We're coming equal first, I suppose. A couple of points behind NDs, but we haven't lost the game. So I'm keen to get back out there. <laughs> oh, lovely. You yeah. mentioned a few good names there. I mean, the quality of cricket. Uh, at Sydney Great Cricket uh, must have been really high um, over the years. I mean, you you started you under 19, playing under 19 for New South Wales. Then you moved to Tasmania. Yep. What's the yeah, story so behind that? New South Wales when I was, yeah, I was 18 and I played for Sutherland at that stage. And I had Steve Rickson was my wicket-keeping coach at Sutherland. I was very lucky to be involved with Steve. He had a lot to do with international cricket and he's probably one of the best coaches I've had, to be honest. He taught me how to train properly with purpose, used every second of my training for, for the right reasons rather than just walking around and talking. Oh, yeah. So Hans had a lot to do with me. I've done a little bit of that at Darwin as I've gotten older, but when I was younger, I was probably the hardest trainer in any cricket side I played in. He just taught me that. Yeah. Made you train hard, you'll get the most out of your game. So... From there, I made the New South Wales side, and we had, yeah, we had probably everyone in that team's played first class cricket now, um, or, or second eleven. So yeah, we're pretty lucky to play with. At the time, we had Philip Hughes. I grew up with Phil playing a lot of cricket with him too. We had him was he was the opening batter, uh, along with a couple of other really good players in Sam Robson, Steve Smith, uh, Josh Layla, Matthew Day. Uh, yeah, there was a heap of different sort of quality cricketers that ended up playing state cricket in that side and. At the time, you didn't realise it how good they were. I think Steve Smith got three ducks in a row on tour, but, yeah. and he, he wanted to give it up and, and play golf halfway through. But um, yeah, the, just the quality of of the playing group we yeah. played with and against. Played against, a lot against Matthew Wade, uh, James Faulkner. Played Mitchell Marsh. Played a couple of years up Pattinson. Um, yeah, so very lucky to sort of be in that in that group of cricketers. I suppose at the time we won the tournament as well, but. Yeah, you, you more so remember your, your teammates, I suppose, than the actual games of cricket. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Me and Bora, we, are, we were rooting Uzi to make a comeback to the uh, to the test team. So he's going to make yeah. a comeback in Sydney. Um, when I toured with Sri Lanka A in 2010, we played, we played against Uzi. I mean, I think that was his first uh, A-team tour. I mean, the way he batted, he you can see he belonged there you know he, he he had he didn't have any trouble facing the fast bowlers or the spinners he was a naturally gifted cricketer and uh he's 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 making a comeback uh tomorrow to the national team any thoughts about uzi making a comeback oh mate i'd, I'd personally 
I don't think you ever should have left, but that's just my personal opinion. I'm a bit biased, but he's probably the most – he comes across as very laid back, but he's probably the, the best thinker in that cricket side at times. He he understands his game. He can go through the gears really well. He can he knows when to when to block out and over and, and wait his time. He also knows when to when to mm-hmm. sort of put the pedal down and hit a lot of runs. So I think, yeah, personally, I think he's an opening stick as well. His whole life, he's been an opening batter. I think he averages 90 in Australia opening the batting and, yeah. and, and they put him down the order. So I'm not sure why that is. Obviously, they want Dave Warner to bat with someone else or or he maybe even Usman's has said, I don't want to bat up the order. But my opinion, I'd just stick him up the order and say, mate, this is your job. Go and do it. And you're in there until you until you don't want to be or you're, or you're struggling. But yeah, I can't see him struggling at test level, opening the batting for a long period of time. He'll have a couple of bad tests, but I'm sure he'll he's the sort of player that knows how to get through those slumps and come out the back end with, a, with runs. So... Very surprising they haven't picked him until now. But, yeah, as I said, I'm maybe a bit biased. <laughs> <laughs> we all are, mate. Um, yeah. <laughs> a good one to venture into, I guess, I mean, you've played Premier Cricket for a number of years and you touch base about the training aspects, um, tools. Um, what's your insight into preparing into a great season you know that's one of the tough comps going around um i mean if you are you haven't trained or if you are not ready you get found out pretty quickly so what has been your go-to so that you're ready to go get up and running for the season uh for me when i was younger it was just catching a lot of balls i, I got a lot of structure through steve rickson as i spoke about but i played in tasmania for a couple of seasons and i trained with the state squad and Tim Payne and and they were really big on just catching cricket balls, yeah. And it made like as a wicket keeper and getting getting running in your legs. Like you got to run. A lot of cricketers now are lazy. I think they just bat and bowl in the nets, do the easy stuff. But I think if you can get your club side in Premier Cricket to not just do long distance running, but short interval stuff, two k time trials, get the bowlers fit, actually doing strength conditioning work, which is important. It's important for me being a wicket keeper, as I've realised the last couple of seasons. But, yeah, I think the biggest thing in grade is people do take it lightly at times. I think you see the strong clubs are the ones that don't. They're the ones that sort of take those pre-seasons seriously and they'll get on the strength and conditioning, they'll run, they'll do their time trials. Yeah, I think the yeah. clubs that do that are, are the ones that sort of end up with their with their noses in front come start of the season and obviously hitting cricket balls at the same time. It's a big commitment. You don't get paid <laughs> um, yeah. a lot of time off. But you want to play at the top level that you can. Obviously, everyone wants to play state cricket or or for their country. But if you can play Premier cricket, as you've seen, Sian, you had a you had a yeah. few games with Gordon. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there's yeah. the standard there is very high. And if you train and put yourself under pressure, you'll get success out of it, and that's a good feeling, whether you're playing for money or not. Nah, spot on. So to most of our listeners out there, Sydney Premier cricket. I feel. I mean, I've played a few games with. I uh, was lucky to get. To play out there on the invitation of duels, played out for Gordon, and it's a strong comp. You get the best players competing against each other. That's why I think Sydney is at a good level. And I mean, New South Wales state cricket is at the best in terms of trying to break in. It's a lot hard. Um, the games are pretty competitive. Every no teams, I think, slightly behind the game in terms of scores and you know, um, competition-wise. So um, spot on. Um, do something I'd like to slowly now move into is your coaching side of things. How did that come about, and um, where's what's the passion on coaching? Mate, uh, good question. It came about a while ago. 
I've been coaching for, yeah, sorry, I've been coaching for about 25, 30, 30 years, 25 yeah. seasons, I suppose. Um, and it was always a passion of mine growing up because I'd never really had a coach. I come from a small town and I just wanted to share my knowledge with players. Yeah. And it turned up, it turned out being a, like something I really loved and I was passionate about. And I found out I could, I could make a bit of an impact in Sydney by doing it. So I started doing it as a company oh, 10 years ago now. Yeah. And from there, I, I had a few players and I used to wake up every Sunday morning and, and go down the nets and coach for 10 hours straight. And yeah. I sort of built up a reputation around the place. And I learned a lot in those in that time too, like how to coach players properly, not just tell them where to hit the ball or try and impact them on their actual shot selection. I think over time, my, my if you want to call it, my philosophy is more so giving them the tools to be able to go out there and do what they want to do or, or react the way they want to react. A lot of coaches still have that mentality of you need to do this there or you need to do that. You need to hit the ball here or you need to bowl the ball there rather than playing on a playing on um, subconscious, sorry. Yeah. They're playing a lot on conscious cricket and they're never going to be the best players. So I think the, the sort of the best way is to find out how you can make a player bat or bowl subconsciously react rather than premeditate. That's, that's going to be the best way to coach. Yeah, so just to be specific with that, I think players at a young age will always need that groove of their technique. So you need to go down, hit cricket balls, bowl cricket balls, catch balls, do it properly at a young age, try and get that muscle memory going. And once you're a bit older, once you get to the professional level or just below, everyone's got their skill set. They understand what they need to do with their setup, whether they're bowling, batting or wicketkeeping and fielding. So I think the mind plays more of a role than what a lot of people think. But yeah. If techniques aren't pushed forward as well, players can be held back with their brains because they're limited. So I think giving players techniques, like help with their technique, will also help their brain be free when they're ready to play a shot or ready to bowl a ball or execute a catch or whatever it may be. So I think a lot of coaches are still just solely thinking about technique or solely thinking about the brain and not matching the two up together. I think the best coaches in the world match both those things up together um, yes, there's always going to be technical issues. Yes, there's always going to be problems with people's thought processes, but matching them up and getting a Steve Smith or a Manus Labashain or a Kumar Sangakara, that's the ideal coaching world. If you can do that, if you can match all that up and get them in a good environment, that's when they're going to succeed. Kids, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, the ones that are going through the most changes in their lives are probably the hardest ones to, to work with because their opinions are so varied. So I think you've just got to simplify it and make sure that they understand the game does have two sides to it, the technical and the and the mindset or the or the emotional side. And once you get that right and once you can get that understanding with a the player, then everything just seems to mesh up a lot better. But it doesn't happen all the time. It's very hard. It's not a it's not a one-two trick pony. It's not just a secret potion you can hand out. It's that's coaching. Not everyone can do it. It's not easy. But yeah. I'm still learning things every day. I love it. And that's why you that's why you do want to get better, I suppose, as well. If you don't love it, you get found out pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, a good one is we see modern batting and you see all the quirky habits and whatnot. Yeah, Steve Smith. Um, uh, Burns, he's getting found out at the moment, but it's not the regular batting techniques that we're used to. And then... You have the conventional batting, which sometimes you've got to work with the player to understand these are 
the fundamentals or these will help you strong. Have you have you come across scenarios like that where juniors come up to say, look, I want to battle like Steve Smith. Can you make me play that way or what? Yeah, all the time, all the time they're walking across the stumps and they do it for a reason, you know, like the play, the players at the top do these things for a reason. Joe Burns, I played against him seven years ago in Sydney and he was very conventional. Steve yeah. Smith growing up was very conventional, but he's yeah. found out a way for him to score runs at the top level. Would it have worked? Would it have worked if he was a kid doing that? Probably not. Definitely not. The bowling was slower. You play different shots. You don't need to get back and across. You got so much time. Your brain is the biggest. Is the biggest. Uh, like I said, your brain changes so much at an older age. So Smith's worked that out. So is so is Rory Burns. Rory Burns is the second leading run scorer in England side, and you get dropped too. That's a bit weird, but yeah. <laughs> he would have been the eighth person I dropped. But. Uh, yeah, they've had a they've had a bad one there. That's just a that's a that's it's an old selector looking at a technique. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an old selector looking at a technique saying that looks yeah. bad without looking at the stats. But someone like Brian Lara, yeah, you would never coach anyone to bat like Brian Lara. His bat went up over his head, you know, like his hands were past his face when he was lifting his back lift up very late too. He never sat up high. He tapped his bat in the ground. Then after the balls bowled, his bat miraculously got up over his head, mm. but he still had time to hit the ball. Ricky Ponning, exactly the same thing. He lifted his bat up after the ball's bowled and it went all the way over his head. His hands are very high, but he hit the ball late and he had so much time to do whatever he wanted. Steve Smith's the same. So I think you've just got to tell the players, the younger players, to try and graft their techniques naturally, whatever feels feels good, because it's Steve Smith technique will not feel good to 99.9% of young players. Mm-hmm. Don't try and go against what your natural swing is. And then once you get to an age where you're you're a decent cricketer or you feel like you've got control of your game, then you can start tinkering with things. But at a young age, I try to tell them just to get the hands high. A lot of conventional coaches will talk about low hand, like, a, sorry, a lot of conventional coaches will talk about low back lifts. Yeah. And I talk about getting a, getting a high back lift in, yeah. making sure yeah. that your top hand is always attached to your hip, but your back hand can go wherever it wants, sort of third, fourth, fifth slip. And then making sure the bat face is open. Every single, all the best batters in the world have always had an open bat face. Brian Lara, uh, Sangakara, um, Don Bradman, Ricky Ponting, <laughs> Matt Hayden, they've all had an open bat face. Not one of them have had a closed bat face yeah. uh, or, or a flat bat face in the, in the peak of their lift. So, I've, yeah, I've done a heap of work on that and, and I've realised that, yeah, you need that open bat face to create power and hit the ball later and, and make sure that you can access all areas. So that's something that I really push hard with the with the younger players. Younger players meaning 15, 16, 17 year olds. But yeah, that's that yeah, that's the main thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> One um, I think um, we talked about uh, different batting styles. Um, one thing we all come across when we coach young cricketers especially in victoria you you meet a lot of cricketer from asian backgrounds they think ahead and they want to know how to go up the ranks and go to the next next level uh, next level and how to go from that level to the next level i mean borai and i we both been living here for last few years right and if if we were in sri lanka we could have said this is how we this is the way this is the pathway but for us to tell them how it works um, it's a bit of a challenge so i would like to ask you how a young cricketer should plan his way through the ranks to uh, pursue his dreams to become a cricketer hopefully australian cricketer yeah so a great question that's that's the that's the best question anyone could ever ask i suppose <laughs> but 
because everyone wants to know how to get to the top. For me, as I spoke about, I can only speak about my experiences and what I've what I've learned or what I've seen along the way. But I grew up in a pretty small village and with no real backing of any money. Didn't go to a private school, and I ended up playing second eleven for Tasmania, which you know, which isn't a massive achievement. But for me, it was mm. coming from a smaller town and with no not the best back. timing. Yeah, exactly. You had Matthew Weir and shocking timing. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah. So for me. Sir, Adam Gilchrist in the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wish I knew how to bat now, like I did, like I, like I batted back then. I would have made a bit better, but that's the game, isn't it? Um, but yeah, no. So I think that growing up in in sort of regional New South Wales or Victoria, you've just got to play really strong junior cricket. There's, you'll get seen somewhere. Like there's going to be someone that will see you, and that's the hardest thing to tell a kid when he's batting at the back of a, a farm paddock somewhere and he's playing against a team that's not so strong. Every time you, sorry, batting or bowling, every time you play cricket, you need to put your best performance on the board. And I think in Australia, we've seen some players come from backgrounds that have no money. They're, they're not private school kids. They just really, every single game they play, try to succeed. Uh, Philip Hughes was a great example. I think he had 15 or 1600s before he was 12. And that was against 12-year-old kids. And then he had 40 before he was 16. And for someone to do that now and, and go churn out those numbers is very hard. The game's changed a lot. We play shorter format. But for Phil to do that at a young age just meant that he had the drive and the will to want to succeed. And I think a lot of kids nowadays have so much exposure to YouTube and the big bash on every night in the summer. Yeah. There's so many different forms of cricket. And they see kids on their social media posting things that they would post. And they think they're not quite far. They think they're not that far off but they don't realise the hard work that all these other players have put in to get to that mm. level. I think that the criticism is much higher than what it was when we were young. We only watched a test match here and there and, and maybe a one-day series. But I think now they watch so much cricket that they can criticise people a lot more because they do have that access. So I think all all sort of all future aside or past aside or present aside, the one thing I've seen is the good players always – do well at a young age. They always succeed and they always do it game after game after game. And then politics don't come into play, especially in this country. There's, there's opportunities everywhere for kids to play at the top level, whether you're making it through school cricket or you're making it through your local club. Yeah, so I've coached at the national level uh, for the NT and we had players in that side, Jack Edwards, uh, Ollie Davies played for the NT at some stage, Lachlan Hearn, they're all playing first-class cricket now. Yeah. So there's there's ways to make it. There's plenty of ways to make it in this country, but it, it's still the age old fact. You need to score runs or or take wickets or or catch the ball well. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Duels, wicket keeping. I know you love your keeping, and I've seen you take blinders <laughs> as well as uh, some of the viewers can see on little snips on YouTube as well. Um, any changes you've noticed a modern keeper made? I mean, through cricket. I mean, as a spinner, I like I can relate about the speed of bowls, where which has increased. With that, you will be able to touch base about quick, fast bowling. Keeping's a it's a different breed, man. What what's, yeah. what are the changes that you notice, and what do you see coming out now? So, other than the obvi obvious change of keepers needing to score runs, which has been happening now for twenty five <laughs> years, so it's not a new thing. It's not a yeah. new thing. Like, it was when I was a kid, but it's not now. That's that's just been a prerequisite. Yeah. I think the biggest change for me has been the passion for the keeping. Yeah. Like recently, 
I've spent a lot of time with players that played first-class cricket in England, wicket keepers, uh, a few boys that have played for New South Wales and in Australia under underage cricket. And the passion for it isn't there, the drive for it isn't there that it used to be because there's so many different forms. You can get lazy in short-form cricket when you're a wicket keeper because you don't touch the ball as much. Yeah. So I think that mentality of every ball being switched on or and training like that has sort of gone out the window a little bit. Keeping coaches are no longer in cricket setups as well. I've found out. Yeah. Uh, I know that I won't mention any any setups, but yeah, I know there's some out there that just used other players to hit catches and and talk about the game. But like I said, I had Steve Rickson growing up, and he was the driving force behind the way I felt felt about wicket keeping. Mm. Like I was always talented, always had the had the will, but I didn't actually know what it took to be that that the driver of a cricket side. And I think now the wicket keepers, although they talk about it all the time on, on TV and there's still a lot of, a lot of chat about the wicket keeper has to be the driver of the side. Well, I think that's gone out the door a little bit. I think they're just a, a backup with someone catching the ball behind the stumps and a batter. And then once they bat, that's where their, that's where their heart lies. But I think, yeah, that, that's what's been lost out of the, out of the wicket keeping ranks, mate, mentally, physically, they're probably fitter and stronger than ever. They, yeah. they definitely wouldn't catch as, and as many balls as what they used to. So that's something that's dropped away. Yeah. I think um, we don't see as many freakish catches or stumpings as what we used to. Yeah. We might see one one every few, few games. But I remember watching one day state cricket when I was a kid or even first grade and they'd be blinders every every single time you go out there and play a game of cricket. So that's what you pride yourself on. And, you, and the balls you don't drop, you know. Like I think the, the whole process of not dropping a catch just training to so you're perfect every single game that's sort of gone out the window a little bit oh, i'll drop one here or there don't worry about it instead of no i've got to work on that i'm going to fix my technique or or get my catch better it's now just forget about it and move on rather than actually actually trying to work on it like a batter would if they got out or a bowler would if they bowled a bad series of balls so yeah like i said i think the passion for it all starts with the passion and as soon as you lose that and the drive then i think those extras that you would have done if you had it, they go out the window, and that's why we're seeing wiki keepers wholly and solely not not being as high quality as what they were. I don't think 10, 15 years ago. Might be my opinion. Might be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment yeah. there, Crooked. A slight keepers. Yeah, I think the be- best thing you summed it up, which I think I, I know I didn't give it much thought, is not number of balls you catch in Viper Cricket for keepers has gone down because yeah more bad contacts and stuff and that generally means your skills tend to drop and they get away from it that's a that's an interesting one right um an area i'd like to touch base i think i mean we'd like to move into ashes cricket and england's england's in i mean disarray at the moment but You've been you've been behind the Good. stumps to two of the two of the promising <laughs> legs <laughs> two of the promising leg spinners England's produced in the last few years. Um, Mason Crane and then Parky coming on a season after that, I believe. So thoughts on them, mate? <laughs> mate, that was brilliant. That I just rocked up with this career club after after leaving Mossman. I thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to play on a flat docile wicket with short boundaries and I, yeah. Mason Crane Mason Crane turned up to training spinning them both ways a foot either way so yeah and it was unbelievable he was a kid at the time Mason when he first came over I think he was 18 yeah uh yeah it was unbelievable we keeping to him and touched the like we, I touched on it then how many times you actually catch a ball I was catching the ball hundreds of times each game you know like every, no one could pick him 
I think he got yeah. 55 wickets that first season he played. Wow. Yeah. Um, I got 30 odd dismissals and 27 yeah. with him. Um, yeah, it was. Did it was your Christmas present, David? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but he, Mason, they're two different, two different kids, Mason and Matt, but Mason was very driven. He would yeah. train like he was playing cricket for England, you know. We, were, we had an indoor facility, we didn't have turf net so that, that year. And he just rocked up every day and trained his backside off and didn't stop batting, bowling, fielding, whatever it was. Always in the competition, every ball he bowled to felt like it was a game. And I love playing my cricket lad and, and a lot of 99% of cricketers do. So you just knew he was going to be something special at that stage. Uh, Matt was very similar. <laughs> Matt was a completely different bowler to Mason, a lot less spin, but he used he used his flight very well. He, he he would hold balls back, bowl little flippers. He'd have an awesome sort of slider that could just go from the outside off stump and take out take out off stump. And he was just them two together would be unbelievable to be honest. But I don't know if we'll ever see that in England side. But yeah, I think Matt was much Matt bowled a lot less uh, short balls. Yeah. But Mason Mason sort of bowled a lot more wicket-taking balls the, the season before. But I think Matt got 50 poles that year as well. And he was just yeah. – he was outstanding. He was very competitive as well. He uh, At the time, he had a busted shoulder. And I always – I said to him, mate, you've got to get that fixed. What are you yeah. doing? You're 20, you're 20 years old. You need to get your shoulder fixed. You're going to play for England. Yeah. He said, I'll be right, mate. I'll just get wickets. <laughs> um, so, like, you know, as, as arrogant as that sounds, that's probably him just trying to pump himself up because he knew his shoulder was no good and he had to take wickets. And it just yeah. goes to show you how confident or, or they trick themselves to being confident these players are. And yeah. Yeah, they're both super, super kids. Matt now's, Matt now's done really well. I think he, yeah, I think he was pretty close to getting picked for this last test from yeah. all reports. And then I think Mason's been sent home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mate. Oh, Mason had one test. He played. He was playing for us that season, actually, and he, and he played a test match. And he got hit around. I think he had better figures than Shane Warne, and they, they have, we haven't seen him since. Yeah. So I think England's use of the spinners—they're very reluctant to their wickets over there, and the, the way they play their cricket before halfway through their county championship is just both pace. Don't even pick a spinner. We're going to juice the wickets up and try and get ten wickets pretty fast, and it happens, you know. So. That's how they get success. And then the spinners come in at the back end. Yeah. But, yeah, I just I, the whole England-Australia thing too, like England of, England are having a report now how they've got to fix their competition. Four <laughs> years ago, we were, we were getting flogged there and they were saying how good they were because the Jude yeah. was swinging around. So they just got to play good cricket at home and they'll be fine. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no there's – no, you don't have to be a rocket science to work that one out. They're always <laughs> going to struggle over here because of the bounce and, and the pace. But – when they go home, we we have our review as well. You know, we, we talk about sacking coaches and, and getting new players in every time. So, yeah. yeah. Just oh, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's next level, isn't it? Yeah. Manus yeah. hasn't toured Sri Lanka on the subcontinent yet. So, it's, I mean, yeah. it's a good test for him. He's a he's a class and the, above. I'm sure he'd love to test his skills out as well. So Yeah, I'm sure you'll go fine over there. He'll adjust. He's one of those players. Yeah. He's not going to dominate. No one ever has. No one's ever. No. no one's ever just reeled off hundred after hundred. But he he'll be very consistent. I think him and Steve Smith. They they don't let playing a missing get to them. I remember talking about this maybe with you, Sahan, in, yeah. in Darwin a few years ago in Sri Lanka. Yeah. I just we we bowled. You had Haraf. I think we had Stephen O'Keefe and someone else. Now yeah. both spinning the ball pretty big. Socky's yeah. first time he probably spun one his whole life, and he won't get upset <laughs> yeah. if you heard me say that, but. 
Um, he's a great bowler. But, yeah, I think we didn't accept playing and missing as well as what you did. And then suddenly those plays and misses don't get to you and you don't play a stupid shot. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the, the subcontinent countries, they they can just sit there, play and miss, as we would in Australia, and not get frustrated and then not feel as though the opposition's on top of them and then wait for their ball, get their runs, get up the other end, bat long periods of time, get bowls into third sessions, four spells, and then they, that's when they cash in. Whereas Australia will go over to those countries, play and miss 10 times out of 50 balls and feel as though they haven't batted well. So that's that's a mental thing, not a, not a physical thing for me. But yeah, I'm sitting here talking to you guys once again. I'm not the coach. <laughs> One day. <laughs> Dudes, yeah, that's a good insight about um well, I mean you summed it up when you said England's um England camp is questioning their tactics. And when uh, Australia goes out there and generally it's the other way around. It's the same with Sri Lanka. We were having a chat um a few last year, the year before Sri Lanka. Everyone's questioning the domestic setup or we'll see what's the reason. Um, an area I'd like to slowly move into is um, in overseas players moving into Australia playing cricket um, out there. I mean, uh, I was I moved back in 2015. I think Vida followed a couple of years after as well. Um, generally, it's a challenge for an overseas player as well to settle into the camp, um, into the setups. One thing you're competing against, or you, I mean, you're the overseas signing for the club, you've got to perform, right? Um, so a player coming in has got that expectations, look, I'm, I'm trying my best to get in. But um, there's a few things that needs to go your way as well. Got to be settled in, into a good environment. Um, also, there are challenges, differences, cultures. Um, and... You know, number one is a language barrier for some of the players coming in. Um, I'd like to know your how you find it. I mean, you're the, sitting on the other side of the fence, man. And what are your thoughts when you know there's an overseas player coming in? Do you guys yeah. do something? I mean, my experience moving in, settling in camp in Darwin cricket is a good one. So, but I'd like to know, was there like, you know, any anything different that you guys did? Or how do you... Uh, so for me... Yeah, this is another big topic around the world <laughs> no. at the moment. But for me, I moved to England when I was 18 and I played for a little club over there called Shaw Cricket Club. Yeah. And I'd never been out of the I'd, – I'd been touring other countries as a junior cricketer before for international sort of junior sides, but never on my own, just off my own bat. Yeah. And I lived yeah. with a Sri Lankan player called Ruhan Dilrak Disanaka. Yeah, and Ru, I'm not sure who Ruhan plays for or coaches in Sri Lanka, but I lived with him for six months, and I was a little, I was a I was a kid from Jamboree who grew up eating sausages and you know and vegetables and and had no other background other than my own to sort of look upon or or judge or or speak to yeah. or try and fit into. So I was straight into a household with just Ruan and I and he just controlled the whole place. So he, <laughs> he taught me how to be be a listener, be a decent listener to other people. And he also taught me there was more to life than just my culture that I grew up with and, and how I did things. So I think for breakfast we ate sausages out of the out of the frying pan and he yeah. would just palm them off to me with his hands. And I was like, mate, where are the <laughs> Where are your utensils? And he said, no utensils here, brother. This is how we do it. So <laughs> I love, I, I got very accustomed to that pretty quickly because I was having a three-course meal at breakfast every morning at 6 a.m., which is brilliant. 
uh, other than wheat bix or whatever I used to have. So no, I think, and for that, for me personally, that created a really good foundation for me to start to accept other people from other countries in sport and, and the way they act isn't, doesn't always have to be the way that, that I act and, and vice versa. I yeah. think moving forward as a 34 year old now, seeing everything that's happening in the world, it's very evident that a lot of people don't think that way, that a lot yeah. of people segregate because it makes themselves feel better. Because once you start little groups of people up, that, that makes the human brain feel as though it's at home. It wants, it wants to be a part of something. So I think as we get a bit more, as we get older or, or as we understand each other a lot more in around the world, I think that slowly is dropping away. And a good example of it, obviously, is when you came over to Sohan, we had a pretty good group of friends in that group and you just slotted straight in. Not because you were you were a big heavy drinker or you, you liked going out or you liked certain music we did or you surfed. It was just because... I think you had a group of players there that had played a lot with other with other people from other countries and they'd accepted all that at that stage. So, But, yeah, I can definitely see how it would be a hard thing. It'd be a very hard thing coming over to another country, playing in Australia with the culture that that is there. Um, but it is slowly changing. I know at our club in Mossman, we've got a great group of players from all around the world and we all get along really well. There's always going to be a couple of hiccups. Not everyone's the same. Not everyone beats the same drum, but we've got to be accepting of each other and understand that the world isn't always the way you want it or the world isn't always going to be easy, but you have to be able to live with it, live in it with many different people and play cricket in it with many different people. And that's what we've got to tell our kids, I suppose. But yeah, uh, for me, it's it's been quite an easy changeover because I spent a lot of time with Ruan when I was in England. So yeah, that was the, that was the biggest thing for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> For the listeners out there, Ruan is, um, he played his cricket for Ragama Cricket Club as a player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was, I think I touched base with you. He's a, ma- he's a good singer. You would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good entertainer. <laughs> um, yeah. The guy is um, he's in coaching at the moment. He used to coach for, a, a, for Ragama Cricket Club. Um, and I think now he's um, uh, managing or coaching some of the junior uh, teams or is involved with school cricket. Uh, but definitely we'll pass on that you said, uh, I think we'll touch base with him, giving him a quick high some time back. But yeah, he's, a, he's an entertainer, isn't he? So, um, well, I had but, no reason to mention him then. And you you said, what about, why, why do you think you, you're like you are or, or the structure or the culture? And that just reminded me straight away of Ruan, to be honest. I never, <laughs> just because, yeah, he's in, he's in my head because he's such a character. Didn't, it didn't bother him where he was. He was in the middle of England. There was no Sri Lankans around. He just did, he did his thing and his thing, everyone yeah, accepted thing. that for who he was, you know, so it was cool. Nice. Yeah, that's oh, it's a it's a sensitive topic these days. With um, in England, things are cooking up. Um, we've seen, um, I mean, racism allegations have come out, and now um, I think the world's discussing about that topic. Uh, especially for overseas players, I think you have a lot of players settling in playing uh, in great. I mean, you have more players in great cricket. There certainly in Victoria, there's a big mixture of international or overseas players playing. Um, and it takes time for them to settle in. I think having that group, exactly how you said, a group amongst them to settle and welcome and, you know, uh, not every player's or personality is aligned, but they find a way to settle into the group. So that's important because 
yeah, Sri Lanka has its own different players. They have your challenges between players as any team. But end of the day, we go out there, try to enjoy each other's company. So this has been great. Uh, I mean, we covered a lot and we talked about a lot of things. Um, but if our listeners want to contact you or get in touch with you, where should they find you, Ash? Mate, so we've got an Instagram page called Cricket Appeal. Uh, I think we've got, yeah, we've got 22,000 followers, I think, now. So we're doing okay. We've had them for a while. I didn't expect it to get as big as what it has, but I just yeah, set out to coach a few players, trying to make a bit of a difference, and we ended up starting a pretty big community there. So we're always there talking to players about batting, bowling. We're keeping just, just click us a message, and from there we can just – talk to you. Um, if I'm not on there, Brendan will be on there, one of the other one of the other workers, and he'll he'll have a chat and put you through to me. But, yeah, that's the best place to contact us as, as a cricket coaching company. I've also got another company, actually. Just, I started this up five years ago with one of my best mates, uh, Two Reds Clothing. Yeah, it's really taken off in the last six months. We've got a heap of different clubs involved. We do custom sports clothing. Everything's online. You just jump on there. You can design your whole kit, whether it's a shirt, a jacket, a pair of pants. So, yeah, it's it's all happening on, on the two red sites. So just jump on there. Uh, give us a bit of a – give us a look. You don't have to buy anything. You can design your own kit and, and take a photo of it and get someone else's on if you want. So, yeah, that's fine. Fine by us too. But, no, there are two companies I'm involved with at the moment. <laughs> oh, that's great. We'll add all these links in the show notes so you guys can go and check it out um, and you can spread the word to your friends as well. Lastly, um, Dules, thanks a lot for coming on board. I think we've enjoyed sharing, listening to your uh, views and um, insights into the game of cricket. Um, before we close off our episode today, any interesting to- stories you've, I mean, had in your playing days? Anything you'd, I mean, I've oh. had some good times. So. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a real good question. Um, I remember playing cricket. This is this is probably my only story because it was, it was it was a hard one for me and I got success out of it in the end. But I remember walking out of the field against Manly one day and there was a there was a keeper called Adam Crosswaite who's now who's now one of my good mates and he's also a coach. I think he did a bit of work for Melbourne Stars this mm-hmm. week. He um I walked out there to bat and before I even Mark Centre he said you're the ugliest player in grade cricket. Um, <laughs> and I, I I probably agree with him at the time. I think I was 19. Mm-hmm. And I um I ran down the wicket when I was on about forty and missed one, and he 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 didn't stump me, and I turned around and I said crease as I put my bat in just to take the piss out of him for not stumping me, and then at the end of the game I ended up with ninety and walked off and he he was the first person to come up to me and say well batter mate that was outstanding you'll grow from that and at the time I thought shut up you old bloke you don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but um yeah it was a it was. Massive learning curve for me in my cricket journey. I think just learning how to cope with people sledging you and trying to get under your skin. From that point yeah. onwards, I don't think I ever I spoke to anyone while I was batting. I just do it while I'm keeping it. Yeah, it was a good lesson at a young age from a from yeah. a very good cricketer. Yeah. Ah, nice. <laughs> Lovely. I think um, we won't hold you much longer, Ash. It's, I mean, we'd love to catch up with you for another episode at some stage. Um, and yeah share some more insights and I mean for the listeners out there Cricket Appeal is where you can find Ash we're working his magic um, 
and yeah there are some lovely videos on how you can improve i think ash send a send a video out to ash as well on cricket appeal he'll be able to share his coaching tips work something out um, for the juniors and also the listeners out there um any viewers if they have any questions free please feel free to drop it here we'll run it past ash he'll, he'll be able to share some interesting tips no worries, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, lads. Anytime you want, I'm ready to jump on board and have another one. Love talking cricket. Yeah, fantastic. We always do that. Thanks, Thanks mate. Thanks for joining. Thanks. See you, man. Bye. Cheers. Thanks. Yeah.